Welcome to On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. Today we will be talking to Kate Allen Catone as part of our series on strength and conditioning. If you are not familiar with Kate, she's done a lot for the sport. As an athlete, she was in IFMA twice, was on the USMF team. Uh, she had a lengthy career, 12 years long, uh, and potentially still going. She fought in WKAs, um, TBAs. She Just last year, she fought uh, three fights in one day, did very, very well for herself, has also been building out the team at Eight Limbs Academy in West Philadelphia, where uh, she might have been born and raised, but uh, more specifically, she's one of the head coaches there, along with Charlie Catone. So very, very excited to get into this conversation with her. As always, if you'd like to reach me, you can follow me on Instagram at Lucas Thai, or email me at a period Matt period Lucas at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone that has left reviews or supported me so far sharing the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to leave a review, that would be super helpful. You can do so on the iTunes store. This show is possibly because of the help of Patrick Rivera. Definitely really appreciate him. He's doing big things. There is an upcoming WBC Muay Thai belt on the line. The North American belt is being fought for at the Warriors Cup on July 29th. Definitely check that out. Uh, and there is a solid amateur title on there, Amy Duke versus Susan Wallace. One of the athletes from Eight Limbs, Sean Gorman, will be on the card as well. So definitely get to go out to that. You'll get to see some of Kate Allen Catone's work in action, uh, with specifically with Sean. So without further ado, the interview with Kate Allen Catone. Thank you, Kate, for coming on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. For sure. <laughs> How are you? So I am okay. <laughs> Busy, but doing well. So one of the things I've noticed about you is you do a lot of strength and conditioning. And you've had a pretty impactful career. You fought in IFMA a couple of times. Uh, you fought most of the tournaments in the States. And you recently fought uh, the WKAs about a year ago. How has strength and conditioning impacted you as a fighter? Um, as far as translatable to competing, um, I would say definitely feel more sturdy and balanced. My conditioning felt improved. Um, I'd say a little bit more faster reaction time, a little bit more explosive. But personally, it's impacted me tremendously because at the current moment, I'm not able to really train Muay Thai. So it is something that I can do independently and I don't rely on other people. So it's been a saving grace in this, this transition of not being able to train Muay Thai. But as far as fighting goes, yeah, I would say um, there's definitely been a decrease in injury, just feeling overall stronger. And so you said a couple attributes that you felt leveled up, uh, sturdiness, balance, uh, lack of injury, uh, being faster, maybe four or five. Do you think that certain exercises targeted those different attributes? Like, oh, this one exercise, this one sort of approach to my strength and conditioning really helped my sturdiness. Uh, another really helped my balance. Uh, something helped with my explosion and my speed something else helped, you know, decrease the amount of injury? Or do you think it was an entire program that helped you sort of develop these traits? I can't pinpoint one particular movement as being superior than the other. I think that doing your weight training in a more dynamic performance um, and a more dynamic movement and understanding that there is a difference between dynamic sports performance and like weightlifting for, you know, 
um, bodybuilding. <laughs> um, so how you're using the weights, I think, makes a huge deal. Um, personally, well, personally, on myself and within our gym, um, we've seen lots of improvement with single leg work, um, whether it's a single leg deadlift or a rear foot or lead foot elevated split squat, um, some split stance work, whether you're swinging the bell, pressing the bell. Um, so putting your body in different positions instead of having your feet and hips square, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, using uh, different loads. Um, so like a light load to work on speed strength, um, to move the bell as fast as possible or move the weight as fast as possible. Um, working on, um, changing that load to, to tap into different things. Like, are you trying to be more powerful or are you trying to be more explosive? Um, are you building, uh, overall like raw strength? So understanding that there's different, um, methods to it and it's not just, squatting, pressing, swinging. And I guess I want to backtrack a little bit because you talked about uh, sort of dynamic sports performance and then you gave some examples uh, versus traditional weightlifting. Can you go into a little more depth about what specifically you view dynamic sports uh, strength and conditioning is? Sure. Um, So currently I'm certified with dynamic sports performance, um, which is through Darius Gilbert. And, um, he's a kettlebell master through the RKC cert. Um, basically he's been working with, uh, athletes for over 20 years, um, mostly adolescents, um, elementary and middle and high school kids. So, um, a lot of, a lot of my training kind of comes stems from that. Obviously I've learned a lot throughout the six years that I've been, um, coaching, but, um, currently we're really kind of invested in, um, his like method, methodology and how he's kind of programming things. So, um, looking at it as from the foot up, um, being more explosive, uh, getting in supply metrics and, and stressing out the foot and the ankle, um, uh, working on movements that help us absorb force in order to produce force. So things like box, uh, I'm sorry, uh, depth drops or, um, drop, drop jumps. So coming off of the box and being able to absorb our own body weight in order to produce force, um, having athletes, uh, up on one leg doing pogo jumps and things like that, just kind of stressing out the foot. Cause everything comes from the foot all the way up. Um, really trying to get people to get their foot into the ground as opposed to just, you know, lifting mindlessly. Um, so yeah, I'd say, uh, lots of pogos and things like that. Um, stressing out the foot and the ankle, um, trying to get people, uh, off the ground as quickly as possible. Because if you think about Muay Thai, we're, you know, sprinting kicks, we're up on the ball of our foot, we're explosive, we're bouncing into it. Um, we throw a kick, we're coming back. We got to be able to check a kick directly after we're throwing a punch. We're pushing through the ball of our foot, we're turning our hip. So, um, movements that kind of, mimic that, but, um, not trying to make it look like Muay Thai. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Can you repeat what you said? What is exactly a death drop? I'm sorry. A, a, a depth jump. I, oh, I a depth it. jump. Oh, sorry. I misspoke. <laughs> I know, maybe um, so I'm was... just being especially morbid today. <laughs> Are you familiar with it? No, I'm not. That's why I'm curious. Okay. So you can think of it as standing on top of a box and dropping down with your body weight and letting your knees bend and letting your hip crease go below your knee crease and then jumping up and exploding as fast as possible off of the ground. So trying to get height. Um, It's less about how high you can jump and um, it's more about the absorption coming down. So being able to absorb your body weight in order to produce force, right? So letting that kind of free fall onto the ground and then jumping up high, as high as you can. Um, where a drop jump is similar, but there's going to be less bend in the knee. So a little bit more of a stiff suspension, um, a little bit more ankle stress and you're jumping up as high as possible, but your hips aren't really dropping that low. So you're just 
stressing out the ankle in a different way, stressing out the body and trying to produce force. But, but first you have to learn how to absorb that force and that'll help prevent injury. And so that would apply to Muay Thai specifically because it's sort of like when you get kicked or something, you're feeling you're the body. That, sure. You're absorbing that force. Or even if you're throwing a kick, mm -hmm. you know, you're kicking into their body. So you're absorbing that, that force coming back as well, getting back into your stance, having your back leg hit the ground. Mm. Um, this is just going off like a rear kick. Um, so those are things that are dynamic movements that, um, help apply to pretty much any sport, not just combat sports, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, and how did you get into the kettlebell stuff and what was sort of your beginnings in strength and conditioning? So I started training kettlebells when I first started training Muay Thai. So like 12 years ago, um, the coach that we had at the time, uh, I don't really know like what his creditations were or anything like that. Um, I would imagine it was more of like a CrossFit type background looking back on it. Um, I don't really know if there was like an actual like program made, if it was just kind of like workouts strung together. But um, I started out using kettlebells, uh, swinging, pressing, snatching, but I didn't have any kind of structure around it. It was just, oh, press it, squat it, deadlift it. Um, that's going to make you stronger. So I would say more absolute strength. Um, so yeah, I started about 12 years ago and I was really into it and I enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't intimidating to me, the kettlebell, it was small and it wasn't like this rigid long barbell. <laughs> um, so it was, it was, it was easy to approach it and not be scared of it. Um, but once I learned how to use it, I got really into it. So when we opened our gym, I had a few kettlebells and I was training on my own. And one of our students who is actually one of our coaches now asked me to show her some things. And I said, I'm not, I'm not a coach. I can show you what I know, but like, I'm not a coach. And then I was like, maybe I should get certified. Um, cause I had a few people ask me, well, what are you doing? What is that? So I went and got certified through strong first. And uh, I hired a coach, a local coach, to help prepare me for the certification so I could um, pass. So I worked with a personal trainer for, I don't know, two, three months just to kind of like hone my skills and clean up some things. And then I got certified and we started adding the strength program into our gym. And it was like two days a week. And then it started growing. And then we started adding three classes a week and four classes a week. And now it's like a full-time program in itself. So, you know. Uh, and you run the the strength and conditioning program by yourself now? I run it by myself. I have some coaches um, that that teach class once a week. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I teach, um, I don't know, eight classes a week, mm. something like that. I write up all the programming, and um, we have meetings every three weeks, and we just talk about how that program went, if we saw anything that didn't work. Um, any feedback from the coaches that they saw or any feedback that they got from students. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a successful program in itself, which is yeah. nice. So it's like that is. Two, two parts of the gym. Yeah. That's awesome. I remember when I came out there, uh, I guess maybe in December or whenever it was, uh, Charlie talked about how he had a curriculum that he rotated through. Is that something you do the same for with the strength and conditioning? You mentioned briefly that you have programs. So do you have like a certain oh, month long program sort of doing one kettlebell movement or one sort of focus? So we do, it's a four week program and I got this from Don Heatrix. Um, so I'd say like 80% of my program layout is Don Heatrix as far as structure goes. Um, it's a four week program and each week we progress the load. So low, medium, high, and then we have a deload week. Um, it's a four week program and it progresses and every four weeks we change it, but it's with the idea of taking similar movements from the program before and making it a little bit more, I don't want to say difficult, more challenging, a different version of that. So I don't know, maybe for a month we're focusing on uh, Romanian deadlifts. 
and then the next program it progresses to a single leg deadlift. Um, so the idea is, is that they're always kind of progressing, not only in weight for strength, but they're also progressing in their movements. Um, and it can be challenging with a group setting because people start at different times <laughs> and everybody's skill level is a little bit different. So it does become challenging. Um, it also becomes challenging with the fighters because we change their movements based off of where they are in their fight camp. So when I write the program up, it's a program for the school and then there's a separate block for how far away they are in their fight. So if they're, you know, seven, eight weeks away, they're focusing on power. It doesn't mean they're not, you know, deadlifting and pressing and squatting. It just means the majority of their workout, um, a higher percentage of their workout is focused on developing power. And then as we get closer to the fight, we change those movements to develop more speed. So it's challenging. In the ideal world, I would be working with everybody independently, um, the fighters independently, but um, I don't have the time and the availability for that right now. So they're in with my class and they're off to the side and they're changing their movements based off of where they're at in their flight camp. And I interviewed Don Heatrick, the podcast should come out soon. Something he talked about, he has that same four week program, but he sort of does uh, maybe three cycles of the four week program to really revigorate the athlete. Do you find that you know, in, tor in terms of like a total body recomp recomposition, that's what it takes? Or do you feel like it's best to always, you know, at least when you can continue to do these four-week programs of, you know, progressive loading, then, you know, week one, two, three, high, and then you drop down for a low week. That's when ideally you fight and then you go into another cycle. Or do you think it's good to do like quarterly sort of altogether uh, semesters, if you will. I think right now it's working for us and we're seeing definitely an improvement. And even Charlie, like Charlie, my husband, who's like the co-owner and head coach, um, he's not a strength person. He could care less about it. Um, he doesn't want to ever lift a weight. So <laughs> um, to have him be like, I'm seeing a big improvement in their prevention and injury and I'm seeing a big improvement in their like conditioning, that's like a positive reinforcement for me coming from him because he could care less about that stuff, you know? Um, uh, I would say that the one thing I did change was uh, after I went to the box, I went to boxing science in um, the UK. I went for a workshop for there and uh, they talked a lot about, like the week of the fight and um, like two weeks out and like where, where people should be at and what they should be doing and that sort of thing. And then speaking with some other people that I like kind of look up to, um, I will say that I got rid of like the deload or the heavy week. So like two weeks out from a fight, somebody would be lifting heavy speed um, on Don's, uh, Don's block, the way he kind of formulates things. I got rid of that. Um, so it's more like a, almost like a deload week, two weeks out. And then the week of, I don't have anybody come in. They have enough stress. They're managing their weight. Um, you know, they're, they're at the end of it. So I want to kind of have them peak, uh, come fight night. And I just don't want to tire them out. I don't want to create more stress. So it's the only thing I kind of got rid of, but to answer your question, uh, in the ideal world, I would be working independently with people and I would be asking coach Charlie, what do they need to work on? How is their conditioning? Are they recovering between rounds? I would have people on heart monitors. I would be able to monitor that. Um, and I would be able to make adjustments. And I think that's kind of like what Don does is that it'll make adjustments with those like little um, micro programming within the whole program. Um, and I'm not able to do that right now. So my goal after my daughter goes to school five, uh, five days a week is Janine and Sean are going to be like my guinea pigs. And I'm going to put them on heart monitors and kind of, see where they're at so I can make adjustments. And then once I feel comfortable with that, then I can start taking on more, um, more fighters. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We have seen some success though. Uh, you recently were at the TBAs in Iowa and you said three of the four fighters that won belts at the tournament consistently did strength and conditioning with you. 
Uh, I also know that you do a lot of the uh, cornering yourself, obviously former fighter and whatnot. Do you feel like you saw those improvements when you were working with those athletes in the tournament? Absolutely. Absolutely. When they come back to the corner, obviously they're breathing heavy, but I saw, I mean, it wasn't just the people that got belts. Uh, there were 11 people and I think eight of them work with me and I could see the difference between some of the athletes in the corner, how heavy they're breathing, their composure, they're hunched over. You can, you can see a, a physical difference in their, in their conditioning and how they're reacting to that, to that burning sensation in their lungs and their muscles. And does that yeah. sensation something that happens within the training program itself as well? So you're sort of acclimatized to be. it? Yeah. It should um, be. Yeah, you should be getting into a, a threshold of where you're working that um, and building up that tolerance. So when you feel it, um, it's not foreign and you felt it already, but also your body can adapt to it better. That makes sense. You talked a little bit about some of the resources you've used before. We mentioned Dawn and uh, also Boxing Science. Can you talk a little bit about some of the resources you found helpful and why? Sure. Um, Don has been a huge help for me. Um, he's never hesitated once to answer any of my questions. I've offered to pay him. I'm like, let me give you money because like you're giving me your time and nothing in life is free. But he is so nice and he doesn't hide anything. Um, nothing's like a lot of times in the, I don't really know about strength and conditioning. I only know my experience with like personal trainers because of kettlebells. But a lot of times in that world, everything's about making money. And everything's about, well, let's hop on a call. And everything's about, like, trying to gain you as a client. Um, and one thing Don has never done is try to, like, avoid my question in order to make money to get me to, like, get the information. Um, he's out there with the information. He's not hiding anything. And that's one thing that I think that really separates him from a lot of people. And also, he's not – he doesn't bash people. Like, a lot of times – Strength and conditioning coach, coaches will be like, you're dumb if you're using a landmine to mimic a punch. Stop with the landmines. It's like, well, all right, what are your recommendations other than that? You know, why do you have to be mean about it? So anyway, I love Don. Um, Don has been super, super helpful. Um, I have a buddy in New Jersey who works with Ocean Topic, um, Diego Flores, out of New Jersey Muay Thai. And I think he works with somewhere like Raw Fitness, something like that. I think he works out of like, three different gyms as a personal trainer or strength and conditioning coach. Um, he's been super helpful. He recommended a book. I actually have it with me because I read it. I've been reading it for the past week. I'm a slow reader. Um, Triphasic Training. Um, it's by uh, Cal Dietz and Ben Peterson. It's a really good book. Um, and it, it really aligns itself up with um, – some of the Don's theories and some of uh, Darius, who is the dynamic sports performance um, kettlebell certification that I work with, um, really talking about the triphasic training and the different um, elements to it and um, how, to, how to make athletes faster and explosive and how to approach weight training differently than um, like powerlifting or, um, you know, bodybuilding. So it really talks about dynamic sports performance and how this type of training translates really to any sport. It doesn't have to just be combat sport. And do so you I would see... say those, those three. Go ahead. I would say those three. I would say those three. Mm -hmm. And those three people. I know primarily you guys do Muay Thai at the gym, but have you seen some of the strength and conditioning translate into other sports or activities for your gym members or people doing the yeah, we have, programs? We have a handful of yoga instructors uh -huh. um, who have come here to develop strength in a different manner. Um, they tend to be a little bit more mobile and elastic, if that makes sense. They have a hard time kind of like engaging muscles or really like stretchy. <laughs> um, so I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from them and some of them use some of the stuff that we do and bring it implemented into their yoga classes, which is pretty cool. Um, some of our activation and mobility drills. And, um, I have some cyclists 
who said they've seen huge improvements in cycling. I guess, I, I guess their speed. I'm not really sure. They just said like, you know, oh, I've did better at this race and okay. um, I don't work with them like independently. If I did, I probably would study their sport more, but, um, and then just general, like re regular people, like general pop are like, wow, I'm really, I had plantar fasciitis. My foot was bothering me. My foot feels so much better. My knee was bothering me. My knee's feeling better. Um, and I really think it's this approach of, um, putting your foot in the ground, being able to get up on the ball of your foot, um, being able to push off your foot, being able to absorb, absorb force, um, learning how to decelerate in order to accelerate. And I think these are all things that are, I'm getting through Darius and that, um, dynamic sports performance. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And you said also you recently went to the UK for a boxing science workshop. Uh, one of the things I've noticed, you know, following you over the last three, four years that we've been friendly, uh, you're always continuing your education. Can you talk a little bit about what you've done for that? What, you know, additional certifications you've gotten and what sort of things you've learned in the process? Um, I'd say, the first handful of years, it was just kettlebell stuff. You know, I got to get kettlebell certified. I'm teaching how people how to use a kettlebell. Um, I'd say within the last two to three years, my lens has changed into how can I strength train people to be better athletes and not necessarily only work on their strength, but also get them moving their bodies better, even if they're not you know, Muay Thai, how can I get people moving better? Um, so that has kind of shifted me into uh, following different people on social media, reading different things. Um, so my approach has kind of changed and I'm sure it'll change again in a couple of years. But, um, you know, I think working with Darius is, is gonna is gonna change things. It, it's still fairly new. It's only been a couple of months. Um, we're already seeing huge improvements there, but I think just surrounding yourself with people like like-minded people and, um, trying to learn from them. And that's what I try to do. Um, if I see that somebody that I'm, I like what they're doing is offering something, I will go to it. You know, I will go to whatever workshop they're offering. Um, and I don't mind, you know, traveling for it. So like, Boxing science was like, I can't believe you flew here from the U.S. I was like, I really like the content that you put out. You sold me. <laughs> Your content's really good. Um, I'm, in I'm interested in learning more about what you guys are doing here. So that's why I came. So, yeah, I, I think that um, when I have time, reading as much as I can and just trying to learn as much because there's, there's a lot of information out there. Not all of it's great, but um, learn from some stuff, see what works for you and bring it back with you. It's similar to Muay Thai. When you go to a workshop, you meet somebody, they show you something new, or maybe they don't show you something new and you just kind of leave with reassurance. That happens a lot sometimes for me. I'll go somewhere and I'll be like, eh, we're doing a good job. Um, and then other times I'm like, wow, I really like that. Like the $4,000 curved treadmill behind me. I went to boxing science and they use that for sprinting work. And I'm like, okay, I'll go home and I'll buy this treadmill. Charlie's going to kill me. <laughs> the the four thousand dollar uh toy he's like yeah. oh, what we don't need more weights we don't need this treadmill what are you doing uh that was his biggest concern he's like are you gonna buy more things are you gonna buy i'm like probably not <laughs> <laughs> but def came back and definitely did i, I did can you talk a little bit more about the boxing science program and uh what specifically you liked about it Um, they have, they have a group of, I guess like doctors, um, they're, they're very science based. So they, um, check your, your lactic threshold. They check your blood when you're on the treadmill to see where your numbers are. So they can try to improve it to build up your threshold of lact, uh, lactate often mistaken as lactic acid. So that burning feeling that you feel. Um, so they do a lot of blood testing on there, which is really cool. I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, one, I don't work independently with people like that. And two, I don't have that expensive equipment. Um, that's really cool. 
um, uh, honestly, when I left, it was a feeling of like, cool, we're on the right path. Like we're, we're doing very similar things. Um, as far as the strength program goes, um, they did lots of, lots of core stuff. Um, but we do a lot of core stuff too with kettlebells. It's just kind of inherent in the movements that we're doing, but they do a lot of focus isometrics on core work. Um, they don't do as much single leg stuff and things like that. It's more, I mean, they do obviously work the legs, but it was more upper body and core strength, uh, for boxing. Um, they also have the advantage that all of their clients are professional fighters. So they're seeing them possibly twice a day, uh, multiple times a week. So it's just a different, different programming because they're, these people are professional and their sole job is to train. Yeah. And you said they're Western boxers as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's, boxers. there's a little bit of some level of sports difference as well with some of the yeah, movements, I, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that their strength training is more traditional strength training, a little less dynamic. They, but they do plyometrics and box stuff and things like that too. Um, uh, we do a lot of powerful explosive movements with the kettlebell. So I would say there is a difference, um, a little bit of a difference in what we're doing as far as like the exercises that we're choosing, but essentially it's all the same, like formatting wise and the layout and how they position the workouts throughout the week and what they're doing on different days. And that was the kind of stuff that I went there to kind of learn. It's like, well, how are you, what is your layout? How are you doing things? Cause I always want to know, like, am, am I doing a good job? Um, with this layout, uh, this format, you know, do I need to change it? Am I, am I being smart about it? And that's something I'm, I'm, I'm always like wanting to know and I'm always wanting to hear what other people are doing. And do you feel like you ask those questions because you don't see a lot of other uh, Muay Thai coaches, uh, that are involved in strength and conditioning to a large degree? You know, at least I've been in the sport a long time. You know, I would say there's only a handful of people that are very into it, although the numbers are getting bigger. It's definitely becoming more popular to see people um, getting more invested in strength and conditioning and, and not just focusing on skills. Um, but there's not a lot of people out there putting out contact, content. Uh, Jeffrey Chu over in Canada, um, um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, uh, GCP training. He's really good. Um, he's a combat sport right now. He's working with a boxing gym called Quinton boxing or something like that, but he's worked with some high level Muay Thai fighters. And I read a couple of his eBooks and, uh, on strength and conditioning, and he has really good content, um, really good information there. So it's worth the buy. I think it's like 20 bucks for the eBook. Um, but he has some really good information there. He's got good experience and he's honest. He's like, listen, I used to think this, and now I don't think that anymore. And that's one thing I like is that, you know, information changes um, as you apply it and you might learn something or read something and then you try it out on people and you're like, that's, that's not working for me or this isn't working for my athletes. And then you have to adjust. And that's one thing I liked about his stuff is that, you know, he admits to how he felt a couple of years ago about something. It's not the same as today. Um, so yeah, he's got really good content too, Jeffrey Chu. But yeah, there's not a lot of people. So I think that, um, I think that's probably why I'm asking, like, what are you doing over there? Because there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of information, not a lot of resource to, and, and it's not all in one spot. You have to like read and find stuff. So, um, when I see the, a gym, like a newer gym adding stuff, um, I, I wonder, I'm like, are you just doing the same mistakes that I did, which was just having people work out or are you, are you on a program? Do you understand what it is, what the goal is? Do you understand what energy systems you're trying to tap into? Or are you just having people work out, you know? And I wish there was a little bit more information, but it's not going to come from me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a big part of the development of the sport. You know, there's the sport is definitely developing, but some areas are developing at faster rates than others. Uh, one of the things you talked about was uh, Jeffrey Chu making adjustments. What are some of the adjustments you've made with your own career? And then also 
with the career of the athletes you're coaching? I guess generally less is more. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say my biggest mistake is that I used to feel like people had to crawl out of the room in order to get a good workout. It wasn't smart. Um, they already have enough stress. They have to leave here and most of them have jobs. So (laughs) they're coming to my class and then they're going into the Muay Thai class and the ideal world, it would be the opposite. It would be them training Muay Thai and their skills first and then coming to strength and conditioning afterwards if you're not able to separate the days. Um, so it's not an ideal uh, setup in the sense that they are doing strength first and then they're going over to Muay Thai. So I would say that's been my biggest like change is that um, learning that like they don't need to crawl out of here in order to be at a, an advantage of an athlete. You know, that's that's taken a while. And I think as a Muay Thai fighter, we want to feel that. And as a coach, coaching them when they're in my class, I have to constantly be like, grab a lighter weight. Or, you know, you're pulling on the band with brute force. That's not the point. The point is to get your ribs to rotate, to get your thorax to rotate. We're working on mobility here. I don't want you to crank on the band. And everybody needs to like learn how to slow down a little bit because everybody's used to feeling trashed. That makes a lot of sense. Something that I traditionally have felt uh, was there was a real opposition between skills and strength and conditioning. Uh, You know, you either had skills or you were just like buff. And a lot of times with doing a lot of traditional strength and conditioning programs because they were so bodybuilding focused, you sacrifice so much skill uh, for like having a bigger, stronger body Uh, and the bigger, stronger body would just be true, you know, stiff. How do you feel like that is still true or how do you think that has changed over the years? I'd like to think that it has changed because strength and conditioning coaches are learning more and becoming smarter. Um, people, our goal is not to necessarily put on a, we don't want to put on a ton of muscle mass on the fighters because that's going to change their weight. Our goal is to kind of build muscle, but burn fat, but also the movements that you're choosing are putting them in a more dynamic fashion. Like I said, like I'm not a huge fan of, back squats, um, heavy back squats, maybe a light back squat and jumping off of a box, like putting your butt down and jumping off a box makes sense to me. But I'm not trying to get them to hit PRs, um, at least not during a camp, obviously. But um, so I always, for me personally, I keep all the reps really low. Nothing goes above five. Um, I rather them lift heavy weight with low reps so they're not building on muscle mass and they're getting, they're working on strength and then they're using other loads in a different fashion, whether it's a snatch to be explosive or a jerk to be explosive or a two handed dead stop kettlebell swing for power. So those are different attributes that they're tapping into based off of, um, the type of movement that they're, that they're using with the weight. And I, that's different than my mentality six years ago, which was you need to squat heavy in order to get strong legs and a strong core, you know? And I was like, that was wrong. I mean, yes, those things will translate, but it won't make you more dynamic. It won't make you more explosive. It won't make you more agile. It won't make you, you know, cut on the football field quicker or on the basketball court. Like that's not going to make you a faster athlete or a stronger, more powerful athlete. So it's just, looking at strength through a different lens lens instead of like absolute strength versus Mm. athlete (laughs) strength. They're like two different types of strength. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And And something you mentioned before was, you know, the absolute strength being, you know, maybe not the best thing. Yeah. And I think that that's what a lot of people probably do wrong is that they think that, Oh, okay. Well, in order to get strong, I need to back squat 250 pounds and I need to learn how to bench press. And it's like, no, that's, that might, yeah, that's going to make you stronger and build up muscle, but that's not the the correct kind of strength that you need. Um, And 
one of the things I really like about working with Darius is his emphasis on activation and mobility. And that's uh, one thing that Don does really well too. You know, he does an assessment of you before you get started and he, he looks up any, he looks at any range of motion um, that's, you know, not great and he'll implement that into his programming. Um, so I think that's important is that you're talking about mobility and a lot of fighters don't have great mobility, especially in their shoulders and their hips. So um, the movements that you're choosing should be strengthening the hip flexors and getting more mobility in the hips and um, getting better range of motion in the shoulders because we're also rounded forward. You've uh, highlighted a few things that you see Muay Thai athletes, especially beginners, might have common flaws with, but could you point out a couple other issues that you commonly see uh, Muay Thai athletes have problems with in terms of strength and conditioning? They're all stuck in their fight stance. They are. Uh -huh. If you say, all right, I want you to squat, put your toes forward, square up your hips. I will literally walk around with chalk and draw a line and show them how biased they are into their fight stance. So mm -hmm. orthodox, their left foot is forward, southpaw, their right foot is forward, and they have no clue. They feel like they're straight. Um, and that's something that I'm personally been working on, um, trying to get my body back into like central alignment. Um, and that's how I like tore my plantar fascia. It wasn't that my plantar fascia was inflamed. Like I, I fought at the WKA, I fought three times and it was bothering me leading up to the fight. And then the third fight, I tore my, the fascia on my foot and I limped out of the ring. And it's like, it's not the, not just the foot. It's a kinetic chain. It goes all the way up to my back. And it's because my hips are stuck in my fight stance. So I'm constantly like working on um, exercises before I work out to try to get myself into alignment before the workout. Uh, so yeah, I would say that pretty much all of them are in um, their fight stance. Most of them have really tight hip flexors. Most of them have really tight hip flexors, which means they need to strengthen them more. Um, I'd say the misconception is that they need to stretch them more, but they actually have weak hip flexors. That makes a lot of sense. And what would be some easy tips that, or things that people can do to sort of start, uh, jumpstart strength and conditioning for their Muay Thai, do you think? Oh man. Um, one, find a coach if you can. <laughs> um, come up with a really good schedule. Try to place your workouts um, on your lighter days if you can. So hopefully you have hopefully you have days in your training schedule that aren't as intense um, where you can slip in those workouts. Um, even if it's 30 minutes, that works. Um, ideally an hour. Um, trying to do that at least twice a week if you can. Um, so twice a week for one hour, working on just like strength and some conditioning stuff. And then outside of that, um, you know, getting your road work in and getting in, you know, at least, uh, you know, I'd say 30 to 60 minutes of uh, zone three work where your heart rate's not super high. You know, you should be able to have a conversation on your run. It should be like a, a slow, not intense run where you're, you're working on that cardio output of that. Um, doing that like twice a week. And then if you can try to get some sprint work in, whether it's on an airdyne bike or a treadmill, or maybe even on the bag, um, doing that at least once, uh, or twice a week, if you can. So there's a lot, there's a lot of elements to it. And like, you don't want to take away from the skills and depending on the level of the fighter, that's going to also dictate how much investment they're putting into their strength and conditioning. You know, if we have like a lower level amateur fighter who's never even fought yet, you know, I'm not going to be like, you know, get on the air and I heard on bike and give me these sprints. It's like, no, I want, I'd rather you be work. I'd rather you be in class in Muay Thai class. Cause that's skills are more important. Um, as far as structuring their workouts, uh, making sure that they're warming up properly and actively engaging the muscles, whether it's bear crawls, um, planks, things like that, where they're kind of warming up their core temperature and then moving on to, um, some dynamic warm up, whether it's pogos or sprinting down the room or jump rope, uh, something where they're, you know, 
actively getting the central nervous system turned on, stressing out the foot and the ankle, um, getting some plyometrics in, um, doing those depth jumps or those drop jumps that I talked about, um, and then moving on to some um, explosive movements with the kettle or whatever, I guess, dumbbell, kettlebell, something like that, something explosive, make sure you're adding in some of that, and then moving on to some power movements um, to work on some power and then finishing up with some strength squatting, pressing, deadlifting, things like that, but always keeping the reps low so we're not putting on tons of muscle mass. Um, so an example would be like <laughs> three mil three strict presses on the right and the left arm, uh, mm -hmm. five goblet squats, um, and then, I don't know, maybe five rows per arm, and then going through that cycle, like three or four sets of that. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like – super crazy, but, um, it's more about, uh, training smart and having a consistent plan and knowing when to put it into your schedule. So you're not stressing yourself out more because between sparring and pads and clinch work, um, and bag work, you're, you're stressing your body out. You know, you don't need to, you don't need to add more stress, more unnecessary stress. It just has to be placed properly. Awesome. And I know you're busy, but I want to ask, uh, we had a few uh, questions asked uh, for you. Um, so I want to ask them and then we can wrap things up. So a couple of people asked a few questions. The first was, uh, do you think you can train uh, strength and power in the same training session? I do. We do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we do. Um, <laughs> yeah. We do. All right. We that's the way Darius has things laid out. That's the way um, Don Heatrix has things laid out too. So yeah, I think it's, I don't think that those attributes need to be separated because those attributes are being tapped into throughout a fight. We can't separate them. Awesome. And what do you think are some effective recovery and sort of active burnout um, between strength and conditioning and Muay Thai training? I think that's a really important question to ask, and I think that not enough people do it. Um, we try to encourage people to have uh, like low-intensity recovery days. Um, those would look like things like Turkish get-ups, if you know what that is, um, a windmill, some halos, things that are going to get the joints moving without a heavy load. Um, but yeah, lots of mobility. Uh, it doesn't even need to be with a weight. It could be things like lying windmills on the floor. If, if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. Um, scorpions on the floor, getting the thoracic spine to start to rotate and move. Um, but really thinking about the joints of the body and getting them in better positions. Yeah. I don't think enough people do that, myself included. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then how important do you think strength and conditioning is for younger athletes? I think it's important, but I think that the skills are, are what needs to be drilled. You know, uh, most people have full-time jobs and they can't invest full-time in Muay Thai training. So you have a limited time window of the amount of stress that your body can handle. And when you're learning Muay Thai, even, even if you are super uh, athletic and you're working strength and conditioning, that's not going to really make you a better fighter. So if somebody's coming up and they're investing too much of their time in the strength and conditioning, I would say that they're on the wrong path and that they really need to focus on their skills. Um, strength and conditioning is going to help make a skilled fighter better. It's going to make somebody's conditioning better and help prevent injury and things like that. But I, as somebody who's come up as a brand new person, I only focused on Muay Thai for a number of years, and then I started adding in my strength and conditioning because I needed my skills. You need, you need your skills. We always need our skills, but as a beginner, that's that's got to be your primary focus. Awesome. And wrapping things up, was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about? I mean, your hair looks good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're too sweet. You're too sweet. <laughs> No, I didn't really have anything else. <laughs> okay. For, well, you can having, having me, Matt, I really appreciate you giving me a chance to have a voice. I've been interviewed for different things, whether it was 
like being a female coach and Muay Thai and the different changes throughout Muay Thai. And I've had different types of interviews or questions that have been asked and nothing has ever come to surface. So hopefully you publish this because I appreciate the recognition and the platform to have a voice, especially in a male dominated thing like, like strength and conditioning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've done a lot for the sport. You're obviously having success with your athletes. So you're an important person to shine a light on. Uh, if people are interested in seeing the beaming light that is uh, Kate Allen Catone, uh, where can they follow you or where can they find your gym? Uh, we're in West Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, and um, you can find my social media, uh, Kate underscore, I think it's 8-B-I-I-I, I think. Uh, I'm trying to get better about putting stuff out there. It's, it's really nerve-wracking and scary to me. Um, but I am trying to be a little bit better about sharing what we're doing in the strength program. Um, put the information out there. Other people can ask me questions, and hopefully I can help people. So, yeah, you can find my Instagram or you can find Eight Limbs Academy's Instagram. Um, we post lots, uh, lots more content on that than I do on my personal page. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for the compliment. Um, I will keep it near and dear to my heart. You don't have to stop giving me compliments ever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, with that, I know you are busy, so we'll have to wrap things up. And uh, this will come out soon. So thank you so much for your time, Kate. Yeah, thanks, Matt. See ya. That was a great interview. I think Kate has a wealth of knowledge specifically about strength and conditioning. I like her approach, uh, you know, especially where she talks about, okay, first you need to have that base level of skill building, and then you put the strength and conditioning on top of that. She's done a lot of research into strength and conditioning, obviously, has sort of fine-tuned a lot of Don Heatrick's programs, which we've talked to him before. She's continuing to educate herself, going to boxing science, working with Darius, um, and researching other people like Jeffrey Chu. So I think, and she has a great control group and you know, t uh, case studies at her gym of people that have done well. So I think Kate is a great person to look at in terms of how strength and conditioning can help your Muay Thai and how it can develop you as a fighter. This has been On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people.